I'm Kate Daniels. Thomas Bozo, the unpaid CEO of Homeboy Industries, joins us to provide some important insights into the things that can and need to be done in our society to assist the people who have landed in a gang culture. Thomas Bozo, good morning. Thank you so greatly for taking time with us this morning. Well, good morning, and thank you for having me. It's truly a pleasure. I'm so grateful that we're having this opportunity because the work that you're doing couldn't be more important, more focused on being life-giving. It's just so critically focused on the times we're living in and I think so relevant to so many of the answers that could help of all of us. Is that being too broad for me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like the way you phrase it because, look, I, I agree with all that and uh, sort of my one of my life's pleasures to now proud to be at Homeboy Industries and be a part of that community. Everything you just said, I feel as well. And seeing how this is working, and really, so going back uh, maybe several decades, obviously, because the inception was 30 years ago, although 30 years ago is the early 90s, that was the origins of it, right? That's right. Uh, Homeboy Industries was founded by uh, Father Greg Boyle, a Jesuit priest, and his first stop as a priest at a, at a parish was Dolores Mission, which ended up being the poorest parish in all the whole archdiocese of Los Angeles, and also was the epicenter of gang violence in Los Angeles. You know, there were eight competing gangs just in that one parish area. And unfortunately, you know, Los Angeles is, is really the gang capital of the country and thereby the world. And what Father Greg was seeing was these young men lives being wasted, being in gang life. And he he wanted to do something different. So he hit upon this simple notion of, boy, if he can employ them and thereby they get enough money for food and shelter, they're not running with the gang thinking that's where they're going to get their money for food and shelter. And so so he came up with this simple way of trying to get these men and women out of gang life. And from there, it started as a jobs program, and it's been going strong for 30 years later. Now we have our own businesses and we're a much larger organization. But it did start with trying to solve why do men, young men, join gangs and how do you get them out of gang life? And, and the organization has been tremendously successful of mentoring them out of gang life for over these last 30 years. And yes, 30 years where they really develop a new life, a, a wonderful life-giving kind of life where they're able to support themselves, contribute to the community, have families, just kind of that, what we call the American dream kind of life. Yeah, that's right. You know, look, I, a little bit about myself. I, I came to Homeboy about nine years ago. I, I worked for 26 years in the for-profit uh, sector of our economy. I was a CEO of almost a $2 billion set of businesses. And so I, I only say that because when I first came to Homeboy, I learned so many things that I was never, I've never been around gang members and, and folks who've been incarcerated that, that I thought of. And so what I've come to learn at Homeboy really early on, and we can talk more about my journey a little bit later, but essentially the point I'm trying to get across is these people who are in gang life are men and women who come into our organization they're second, third generation gang members. Their mother, their father, their aunt and uncle jumped them into gangs when they were 10, 11, 12 years old. So they never had a chance to kind of be what you just kind of said, live the American dream or live the normal, quote unquote, normal life. And so what we provide a homeboy is that really that first chance, although we give multiple chances, place for second chances, but we give that first chance as they're leaving the prison system, the jail system, and they'd say, I just want to get out of this gang lifestyle. We're there to help them. And that's why, and, and then they work on themselves throughout our time with Homeboy, and then they be, 
go out in society after they graduate from homeboy and are resilient enough to take on what society challenges them with. But my point is they've never had a chance in their life until, until they show up in a program like Homeboy Industries. So that is the piece of it is so critical that many of us, if we aren't in that kind of lifestyle, most of us aren't, we think, well, you know, why do they do that? Uh, just get out of it, you know, go to school, get a job. But it's not that simple when you show us that it's generational, for one thing. Yeah, no, no, it's not that simple. And I, I remember early on at Homeboy, and you know, I started as a volunteer, and I would spend as much time as I can with uh, Father Father Boyle, Father Greg. And, you know, I would ask a similar question to what you just said. And, you know, Greg would turn to me and say, you, know, you can sum it up this way. In short, the, the difference between you and I and our, we call them trainees, our, our clients, our homies, says, you know, we had at least had one parent who loved us. And you can almost say everyone who we're working with today, a homeboy, they never had anybody who loved them. There was no family. There was no support system. And so they turn to the gang thinking that's their family and that's their new support system. And it's a false hope. And it turns out the gang turns on them. Then they, they're incarcerated. They come out. And it's bad lifestyle, as we all know. But it's like you can kind of see how they move into the gang. Why? Because they had, they had no other support, no other people who loved them and cared for them. And, and you would talk to many of our folks in our program now and our trainees. You know, they, they talk about Homeboy being their, their family, their first family, the people they know they can trust. And, and the key aspect of what makes Homeboy successful is, our, you know, our secret sauce is, you know, when they walk through our door and ask for help for the first time, you know, we don't judge them by their tattoos. We don't judge them by the gang they were in. We don't judge them by their felony. We don't judge them by the color of their skin. We just want to say, yes, we're here for you, and we, we're going to help you, and we're going to be in relationship with you, and, 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 we're, and we're going to be in compassion and kinship. And, and what works. And one of the key things, as you say, those who have been incarcerated – they have like a hundred strikes against them coming out into the world. There's most places, even though they're not supposed to ask about the criminal background or criminal history, that still surfaces somehow. And they have so many obstacles to overcome to get gainful employment. So one can see where, you know, it's just that turning the track goes, leads right back into the prison again. Yeah, no, that's right. And, and well said. I mean, society has stacked up so many hurdles against people wanting to move their life forward in a positive way. And it's like, you know, it's, it's innocently set up these hurdles. It just, but we have to sort of recognize, and this is what I try to get across in, in, in my book, is look, the poverty rate in America has been the same for 45 years. It hasn't changed. Let's pick our heads up and do something different. And I'm saying homeboy has a way of doing something different that's that's been successful. So, so it's kind of nutty that society thinks we can release tens and thousands of people out of the jail system every year. And just maybe some, or a government agency helps them write a little bit of a resume or, and then try to get them a job. But our folks don't have the capacity to, to get a job and keep a job. And they don't have that resiliency. There's so many hurdles. Where are they going to live? They're homeless. Where are they going to, uh, they, they, they can't rent an apartment. They don't make enough money. They don't have food and shelter. They, they have massive debt coming out of out of prison. How are they going to pay off that debt? And so while they want to do it the right way, it's just so much is stacked up against them. And we have to – and I'm saying we can we can rethink this because Homeboy is living proof that you know, we've, there are over 8,000 men and women who come through Homeboy's doors every year. And you know, there's an independently funded study that said people who come through Homeboy and part of our core program – have only a 30% recidivism rate. 
That means going back in the jail system on new charges two years later. Our 30% compares very favorably to the California average of 70%. So we're two times better. And really what we're doing is we're, we're employing them, and, but we're really helping them heal from their trauma. And we're trusting them and, we, and we're forming one-on-one relationships. If we have more organizations, more businesses do that, I think we can, we can actually improve our society. And aren't we looking for that kind of solution? We yeah, are. I would hope so. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, just, it's a matter of kind of moving to the margin. You know, you talk about the struggles of people being incarcerated. You know, when I, let me tell you this one story. You know, when I, I started a homeboy as a volunteer and, and, you know, I was a business guy. And so I was trying to, so homeboy has seven social enterprise businesses where we, well, while people work on themselves or working on our businesses, and it's a good combination. So one of our businesses is a, is a farmer's market. And, uh, you know, we go to 26 farmer's markets around Los Angeles County. We make artisan bread, handmade bread. And so the, the key aspect of our bakery is that we have rival gang members standing shoulder to shoulder, rolling dough on the table, making bread. I mean, it's a, it, it works. <laughs> you can't demonize somebody you're in relationship with or you're standing next to. But my story is about the farmer's market. So we're selling bread at the farmer's market. And one of our better sales guys uh, who sells the market, he's, he's a trainee. You know, it's, and it's a perfect sort of thing for to get someone to learn how to work is to go out and try to sell bread at a farmer's market, right? And so one of our better guys, I hear him talking to our manager of our bakery saying he's got to take the weekend off. Uh, he, you know, he can't work his three markets that weekend. And, uh, and so the – you know, so I thought it was interesting. And I was a new guy, so eventually I go up to George, the, who the who the trainee is, and said, "George, you know, kind of, what are you doing the week?" And I'm thinking, "Oh, is he is he taking the weekend off? Is he going away? Is he visiting family?" And he says to me, "No, I'm reporting in." And I guess I had a quizzical look on my face. What do you mean reporting in? He said, "Well, you know, I came out of prison. I owed a lot of money to for court costs and probation costs." He said, "So as a way to earning down that debt, I report to county jail and spend three days in county jail, and that cuts my debt." In half. I was like, oh, I was stunned hearing that. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's such a responsible thing for George to be doing. And the thing also thinking, isn't there a better way that here's a guy trying to do a good job, has to take time off to then go pay down debt? He didn't want to take on a high loan, uh, high interest rate. All right, fast forward the story. Following Tuesday comes in, I'm walk. I see George say, hey, how to go this week? And I was thinking all weekend about it. I think, what could we have done differently to help him? And he had a stressed look on his face, and he said, well. <laughs> It didn't work out so well because he had custody of his two children, 10 and 8 years old. And he, someone was supposed to watch his children when he was reporting at the jail. Well, it turns out that person couldn't make it. And George already committed to go to jail. And so he went to jail. He left his 10-year-old and 8-year-old alone in the apartment for three days. And he spent the time, like rightly so, fretting about how it's going to turn out. I want to say a couple of things. It turned one. It turned out okay, right? But the thing is, like all of us who are listening to that and telling these stories, all probably, probably judging. Why did he make that decision, right? And all I'm saying is, why I come to learn the homeboy is, our folks are left with impossible choices to move their life forward in a positive way. I don't know if I would have done the same thing. I don't know if you would have done the same thing. But let's not judge George for trying to do the right thing, and let's just realize let's change the system so he doesn't have to make those impossible choices. And that's the stuff I kept learning over and over again at Homeboy Industries that I want to share with as many people who will know listen. Oh, my gosh. That is just a gut punch. 
to, right, right. To, well, which, I mean, what would because the rest of us who live in this our society, the America that works for us, we have other options, right? We would have done it differently. But someone who's poor and demonized in our society, it is, they don't got a lot of choices. Right. So we have to keep George's story in our heart, and and yeah, and absolutely. and so how then, Thomas? Do people? find out those who are wanting help how do they find out about homeboy industries you know um we, we, i will say it in a, in a very glib way well there's over 130,000 gang members still in los angeles county so it's still a lot of gang but as father greg and i i've talked to a lot of our folks who come in uh, um you know there's probably not one gang member in la county who doesn't know who homeboy industries is mm. and so we don't go out recruiting well, we, we represent we represent hope for them that when they know they want to get out of gang life, they can come to us and we're going to help them. Um, in my in my words, you know, I I've, I've, I've go out of my way to sit on what we call our selection committee each week where we interview. There's 10 to 15 people who interview to be part of our program each week. And to, to get an interview, you have to have been incarcerated, you have to be a gang member and looking to change your life. So it's a voluntary program. And we reverse cherry pick and take the hardest of the hard cases. I explain that in a bit, but I guess the point I'm making is as I, well, we're looking for someone who's willing to change your life and they're just tired of gang life. They're tired of being abused by the gang and doing what they know is, is wrong. And, and so we represent a way of them moving forward and changing their life. And so uh, through word of mouth, I guess it's short answer your question through word of mouth. People know of us. And uh, we way more people come try to come to Homeboy Industries than we can afford to take in. We're a nonprofit. We're now a thirty million dollar organization. We only get of that. We only get about five percent of our funding from the government, federal, state, county, city. The rest is private donations or from our businesses. And uh, you know we want to keep helping more people, uh, but but people seek us out because we know we're there to help them in some in some type of way. So let's take this moment to mention the website because, as you say, it takes funds. Uh, this is such critically important and obviously wor- good work that is showing incredible results. So tell us the website so we can partic- get more information, of course, and yeah. participate. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Homeboy Industries. So it's our it's uh, homeboyindustries.org. Uh, we have a Facebook page. You can go to Facebook. You can go to our own website, and you know, we have Instagram. You know, I would encourage people to go to a Facebook or Instagram as well. We, you know, a lot of ways people heal through telling their story, and so we have many, many stories posted on our sites about um, their story, their individual transformation, where they found the strength to, to move forward. Um, and like you said, we're a nonprofit. We need funds to. Because uh, what we're doing is counter counter cultural, counterintuitive in that uh, we are paying people to heal, <laughs> to help heal, to spend the day going to their therapist, getting tattoos removed, getting their high school equivalency, going to anger management classes, and then a little bit of time they're working in our businesses. So that takes funds to do all that. And um, and because we're mostly, as I just privately funded, uh, we can do we can go above and beyond within what even government funds would allow us to do. So. So donations are key, and thank you for letting me say that to everybody. Well, I think we just need to realize how we are all a part of 
this and we all are part of the problem. We're also part of the solution. So it's important that we see that that in ourselves and support the good works that are going on. Yeah, and that's right. And, th- and again, I totally agree with that. And what I learned at Homeboy, look, I was a corporate guy with a lot of hubris as a corporate CEO, came to Homeboy as a volunteer, and came to learn that, that as Greg would teach and, and the homies would teach, be part of the community, right? And and be willing to kind of move, what we talk, say, move to the margins of people on the margins of our society and move in kinship with them. And I have learned so much, not just about business, but I've, I've learned so much about what it, the struggles of the poor, but I also have learned that my own faith and I have my own spiritual journey. Uh, and, you know, back in the corporate world, you can't talk about God and your spiritual journey. <laughs> Here at Homeboy, you can. And had a and and what I learned that from the homies. Now, obviously, I learned from Father Greg, but it's from the homies. And listen to how they move their life forward, holding on to their concept of God and the goodness that that God has put in them. Uh, and I'm thinking, boy, if they can kind of open themselves up, I should be able to do it too. So my message is, we all as a society can move to the margins of the people who are poor in our society and learn something by them. And we all need to go. We all should go and help support that. Yes. And perhaps we can't be right there on, we'll call it the front lines doing so until we can. Providing financial support to the degree that we can is really critical because as you just were pointing out, Thomas, how there are great expenses. You know, And I'm thinking in terms of, say, the therapist, there's a lot of background history that needs to be undone. And so therapy, counselors, these are all from the private sector, or, or do, does Homeboy Industries have your own group of counselors on site? You know, it's a little of both. Um, we are blessed with a lot of volunteers, and so uh, we have over 40 therapists who volunteer hours to be with us, and we have four paid, but we have volunteers. We have volunteer doctors doing tattoo removal. Uh, we have educators help on education, but it costs, but to your point, of, it costs a lot of money to provide all those services with our management team and our navigators, our case managers. And let me say this, one of the things I, how I write in the book is these notions we need to rid ourselves of. And so there's this notion in our in people who are middle class or well off that, you know, money doesn't solve problems, right? And I want to I shout, no, that's not true. <laughs> For people who are poor, money solves a lot of problems, right? They, not just, it's just the basic needs of food and shelter. We've seen food insecurity through this pandemic, which is just heartbreaking. We've seen a lot of homelessness and people are not housed, but also people have debt and they can't make their pay, their monthly payment. They can't make their car payment. And so we, it's so accepted now, but 10, 15 years ago, we were frowned upon. We actually give people money to, to pay their electric bill. We give people money to, to, to pay off some of the debts. We give people money, uh, uh, you know, when they go to the dentist, you know, mostly Poor folks in America have to pay cash when they go to the dentist. There's no, there's no dental insurance for, for poor people along the way. Mm-hmm. So money does solve problems. And so uh, thank you for letting me kind of <laughs> say all that as you're asking for donations from me. Well, and we need to see this reality uh to see how there are places like Homeboy Industries that are providing the support, the education, the counseling that's so greatly needed. And yeah, the the dollars are needed so we can funnel whatever resources we have to help support such important and good work. 
And and there is the work then, the industries. You mentioned the market garden. I saw with stories on the website that there there is, well, you did mention actually the bakery, the guys making the artisan bread shoulder to shoulder. Uh, there is, there's a lot that's going on and I dare say it keeps growing. Is that right? Yeah, no, it keeps growing. It's, um, we, we've added uh, uh, a couple social enterprise businesses. We call them social enterprises. We one of our latest one is uh, electronic waste recycling. And you know, in, in the state of California, many of the states around the country, there's rules in place that how to properly dispose of electronics. And and it's a good job for our guys because we we pick up the the electronic waste, we bring it back to our warehouse, we demanufacture it, pull it apart, and sell the and sell the components and. And so I also want to say this about our businesses, you know, and I'm saying this from a business perspective, you know, again, I was a guy who we had many businesses for a lot of years, um, two, $2 billion businesses, large scale businesses. The homeboy workforce is as good as any other workforce out there. And, and that's the other message is hire you know, people so it, back in my old company. We would never hire somebody with a record or a felony and never hire anybody was from a gang and we wouldn't hire anybody with tattoos. Right. So, what I'm saying is the homeboy workforce is just as good as any other workforce. And at Homeboy, as people go through our 18-month model, we get them jobs, not just in our businesses, but out of our businesses. What I want to do and what we're doing going forward is take the lessons of the for-profit world, the capital world, the venture capital world, and we're raising – and we raised 11 to $15 million. We would want to invest into creating more homeboy businesses so that it's our folks getting those good jobs. And so – Look, in all our businesses, 90% of our management team, not just the frontline workers, are former clients, and they do a wonderful job managing and leading. And so you know, we have our homegirl cafe. It's a uh, uh, breakfast and lunch place. We, we're Zagat rated. There's only eight other restaurants in downtown Los Angeles with as high of a rating, and it's run by former felons and former gang members, mm-hmm. right, which is sort of tells you a lot. <laughs> and that's, that's what we're trying to shine a light on. Hey, this is, this is good work. Now, as we grow more of our businesses, I want to be able to pay those managers like they would get if they were out in the for-profit world uh, and not have to worry about their background. So that's that's one of our goals is how to create more homeboy businesses so we can create more quality jobs for the people in our programs. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it is just really delightful to see these stories and images on the website, which is what I looked at. But you said also check out Facebook and, and Instagram. Also check out this book that you, where I first became aware of, of you and, and this incredible story, Thomas, The Homeboy Way, A Radical Approach to Business and Life. Because one is very much a part of the other, and you're showing us how, you know, overcoming the barriers and the kind of stigmas that so much are in place, this helps us to see past that and how you yourself saw past it. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I, th- thank you. I wrote the book because, you know, originally I was thinking about writing a book. I learned so much at Homeboy. I would sit at Father Greg's office and listen to other leaders talk about how they're helping certain, you know, men and women, right? And I listened to them tell the story. And, and as they're telling, I'm thinking, okay, what would I do? How would I go about helping this person? And then I would listen to how they would do it. Like half the time, they would do something totally different than what I would have kind of approached it right and and clearly the way was better and so i kind of started thinking about should i write a book that if i was ever to go back into the for-profit world what lessons would i take back from homeboy 
And so that's kind of, you know, there's, there's those business lessons, leadership lessons, but it's also lessons about people and what I learned from the homeboys and homegirls, my spiritual journey, but also this notion that we as a society had to help people who are poor and have been demonized and had to move them forward. It takes action. And so homeboy is not just about a, a concept. <laughs> we actually do it every day of helping people transform their life so they can have a good life and their children can have a better life. And, you know, that's sort of all those messages we're trying to get across. And I think what it really puts across is how here's this model it is a model, but it is working and so many lives are being changed and transformed. It's been around for 30 years now. And during this last two years, we've really become much more aware of words like equity and and justice and talking about all the barriers that exist in society. Here's a model that has already been working at that for decades. We, we don't have to reinvent a wheel. We can look toward homeboy industries and see what's been working and, and aim to replicate that. No, that's right. You think about homeboy, our population, it's over 90% people of color. Uh, we're pr- I'm proud to say that over half of our leadership team, management team, are former clients, people who have lived that lifestyle, and we have invested into making it. You know, they have good leadership skills. We've invested in teaching them more of the managerial skills needed to to, to run an organization. And so, uh, you know, no organization is perfect. We still have our <laughs> challenges as we move forward. But I would say, compared to many other organizations and businesses, we have learned how to how to actually provide racial equity in leadership development along the way. And there, you know, I talk about that in the book as well, is that how do you, how do you have to invest in this population? What, what do you need to learn? How they need to learn differently? Because particularly our folks who mostly never finished high school and just have a lot of great experience and know how to do the job, but how do you kind of supplement their experience with other, other skills? But my point is, if, over the last few years, there's much more of an awareness about racial inequities and system-wide inequities that have held people down. And just as you frame the question, homebrew is a way not just to talk about it, but actually put action in place to kind of reverse that trend and lean in and provide more opportunities for people. And I would say that in terms of this versus your corporate career, where it was so important that the profit was so important that to gain it, you might have to slash the bottom row of employees who are the ones who really are needing the money and may not find a job elsewhere. Here at Homeboy Industries, it really starts with these people respecting them and giving them the opportunity to keep growing and moving upward and building not just a, a great life for themselves, but a a better community, a better world. Yeah, that's right. It's, and put it in business speak, since I lived that world for 25, 26 years, look, our business is people. Our business is developing people, allowing people to move their life forward, right? And so people got to be our number one priority and creating a culture for them to thrive is very important. And as managers in a human services agency, it's very difficult because you're absorbing people's pain, you're dealing with their trauma, and you still got to do your work at the same time. So so part of the lesson learning is you know, how do you kind of balance the managerial tasks and the set boundaries and still move it forward and be in the people business? And it's not about... Obviously, you need dollars and cents to run the organization, but the priority is on the, the mission of helping people. Now, I just want to say this. 
easy to say, you know, folks are hearing and saying, well, that makes sense because they're a nonprofit <laughs> agency. I think you can bring that attitude back to the for-profit world. And the why I say I believe that because we run our social enterprise businesses like the for-profit world, but still keep people in the forefront and it works and you can do both. Yes. And I think we get that good picture with lots of sustaining stories about it in your book, The Homeboy Way, A Radical Approach to Business and Life, which is new, very new, but very available. So you can find it at all your favorite book sources and uh, ch- check check online, check at this website, at your website, um, Homeboy Way, uh, Homeboy Industries, rather, Thomas. So let's mention the ways to connect and support and get more information. That's right. Homeboyindustries.org is our website. We have a merchandise store as well. You can put books also on your favorite locations, Amazon and all. But I encourage you all, I mean, I've learned so much about Homeboy. I mean, although I've been there nine years, I feel like my job is the cheerleader. It's a <laughs> phenomenal team. This second chapter I'm living in my life is just, I'm so grateful. And again, I've learned so much and I just want to sort of be that witness and eyewitness and explain it to other people and come online. If you're ever down in Los Angeles, come visit. We have pre-pandemic, over 9,000 people visited each year because what they get to see is they get to be in this community that is about kinship and compassion. And I know these words sound cliche, but everyone who walks through our doors feels that energy right away. And they want to be a part of it. So everybody's welcome to come on down. Thank you for that invitation. And thank you for this time this morning. This is such an important story, important for our life, for everyone's life. So, Thomas, thank you greatly and continued success for you and all that you connect with. All right, Kate. Thank you very much for having me.